good morning, everybody. Well, today our new series, thanks Brad for that intro and, and teeing us up, it's, um, it's a new series called Letters from Future Me. And here's the idea of it, if you could go back in time and write your younger, dumber self a letter that would save you some heartache, what would you say to yourself? Have you ever, have you ever um, maybe been a glutton for punishment and thought about this and thought, man, what would I tell former me that if they got a letter from future me, how would I help them not make the same mistake twice? I uh, actually am the type of person that thinks about that. I, I realized that I'm a lot more like Dwight Schrute than I realized because there's this office episode where Dwight um, has his, his letterhead. He's got letterhead that's personalized. It's from Dwight. And Jim steals some of it. And every once in a while, he will send Dwight a fax from future Dwight. I think the cold open of one of them is, at 9 o'clock, someone poisons the coffee. Don't drink it. And right at that moment, Dwight looks up, sees Stanley drinking coffee. He rushes over, slaps it out of his hand, and he goes, you'll thank me later. I am just like Dwight because I have monogrammed stationery from myself. This is, a, this is a Dan Jacobson circa 2017 just discovered Etsy thought, what do I need in life to prove that I'm a real human? I need cards, blank cards that I can write to people and they know for sure it came from me, a professional human being. And I imagine myself sitting down, and um, I've got three letters that I would write to myself, very short letters. You guys want to hear what some of the things I would tell past Dan Jacobson? Yeah. Let me tell you this. Um, I'm not Jimmy Fallon, but I feel like you can sing the music in your mind. Dear Dan, you're right. Practicing cursive handwriting is a waste of time. <laughs> Nobody uses it in the future. In fact, You'll never use a pen except for this sermon illustration. Mostly everybody types with their thumbs, period. You wouldn't write yourself that letter? Save, save you 20 hours of practicing that cursive A, right? How about this one? Um, this is another one I'd write to myself, uh, to, to myself in third grade. I would, I'd write myself this. I'd say, dear Dan, you're right. That new dirt bike your dad just bought you is really cool and really fast. And yes, you should ask twice which one's the brake and which one's the clutch. That would save me some scars on my face had I, had I learned that one. All right, this one um, is a little bit more of a personal one. Bear with me. This one gets really, really personal. Uh, dear Dan, as a young White Sox fan... What I'm about to tell you will upset you. I hope you're sitting down. One day, you will bring your kids to the baseball park, but it will not be Comiskey Park. It will be called Kauffman Stadium. And they won't be wearing White Sox gear. They will be wearing Royals gear. And your wife will be wearing a Cubs jersey. Just embrace it. It goes better for you if you do. Oh, P.S., you do get married, so relax, dot, dot, dot. That's definitely one that I was worried about for a while. We all have these, like, you know, things that you didn't see coming that you wish you could write for yourself. I don't know what you would tell 
past you that could be a letter from future you. But if I could be really honest today, if I had one really tangible letter that I wish I would have written to myself a long time ago, it would, it would really just sound very simple. It would say this. It would say, Dan, dear Dan, because you want to be nice to yourself, dear Dan, you do always make enough money to be generous if you want to. Signed, future Dan. I think for me, if I look, if I'm really honest with everybody today, one of the things that future me really, really, really wants to be is generous. The type of person when people think about my life, they think about the ways in which being around me or being known to be with me is to be enriched in their own experience of, of humanity and life. And I, I suspect I'm not the only one who would actually write that type of a letter to yourself today because I have yet to meet in my short existence in this world any person who has ever told me I don't want to be generous. I think my full experience has been people want to be generous. But here's a thing I've noticed is that when you meet a truly generous person, they stand out amongst everyone else as a rare bird, as it were. It's like um, you, you meet a, a, a generous person and there's a satisfaction and a solidity to their life. And the people around them seem to all notice and see the same thing and they all aspire to match it. Truly generous people are not the peacocks that go to celebrity auctions and are flaunting their wealth and buying weird Monets. No, I think the type of generosity that you and I think about, it's more like an older grandpa who sees a foul ball coming over the net at the stadium and snatches it out of the air and then looks around for his grandson to give him the thing that just came into his life. And if, you know, you, you know these moments, if in the stadium that happens, the, the cameras tend to catch that person in the act of catching the ball and finding a kid and handing it over, the whole crowd erupts with glee and joy because something good just happened. Someone was generous with a good thing. I, I want to be an old, generous grandpa someday. Anybody else with me? Like, I just want to be, at the end of my days, just like incredibly smug and satisfied, not for how much I kept, but for how much I helped make other people's lives better. And the seeds of that person are being planted today. That's why I have to write myself from the future that if you want to be generous, you can be. And this is what is written in another letter that I want us to look at today, an ancient letter from the past. And it comes to us in the future with all the wisdom of the ages. It's a letter that I want to draw our attention to uh, found in the Bible, found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, however you grew up saying it, there's really no right way, wrong way. Just 2 Corinthians 9. It's this letter written to this community, this ancient community. This group of people that lived in the ancient town of Corinth. And they were followers of Jesus. And they were receiving this letter. They were people who had opened up their lives to being generous people. They even had gone so far as to declare out loud how generous they wanted to be with their lives. And they received this letter from their founding pastor, this precious guy named Paul, who's kind of a big deal back then, kind of still a big deal Right now, God used him in, in spreading the name of Jesus throughout the early first century. And Paul writes them a letter. This is actually one of many letters that Paul has written to them. And we come to 2 Corinthians, and it's actually probably more like 3 Corinthians. 
Second, real 2 Corinthians, this, this letter that we don't have today, it's a letter that Paul alludes to that tells us that he's already written to these people in Corinth telling them that there's a need for helping financially these other Jesus followers who live kind of in a faraway place in Jerusalem. They're up against it. They don't have enough money to sustain what they need to sustain, and they, they're all struggling. And so Paul has, has looked around all of the churches that he's planted and said, hey, we all belong to the same family. Is it possible for us to actually meet their needs together? And Paul writes that in the real 2 Corinthians, which we don't have in our Bible. And the Corinthians actually send back a letter to Paul. And here's what they say. They say, Paul, this is amazing. We're so glad that you asked us. We would love to help them out. In fact, next time you're in town, we would love to send you out of here with a giant gift that sounds pretty great. Sounds like really generous people, right? Except when they said next time you're in town, it was kind of more the thing that you do when you meet people when you're out in Orlando, Florida, and you're like far from home, and you hit it off with them, but you really never want to talk to them again. You go, hey, next time you're in Olathe, why don't you look me up? As if there's even phone books anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you tell them like, hey, this would be great to connect again in the future. Why don't you just look me up? And so the Corinthians write back to Paul, like, sure, next time you're in town, he ain't ever coming back here. And so Paul writes what we have here as 2 Corinthians. He writes back to them and he says, hey, guys, you'll never believe it. I'm coming to Corinth. Remember that thing that you told me that you would be ready with a big gift for these people in Jerusalem? Well, I want you to know, he tells them this, he says, I want you to know that it will be very embarrassing. And not just to me, but to you as well. If you didn't follow through on the promise that you made, because I've already told the Jerusalem church what you said you would give. Isn't it fascinating how the ancient Venmo process used to work? I mean, you'd write all these letters and then have to write another letter to say, hey, at this moment, I'm going to be coming through. You better have the gift ready. And this is what's going on here. And in the midst of this letter to future them, Paul is saying, hey, it's going to be really awkward for us in the future if you're not as actually generous as you say that you are. And don't we all want to be generous? So here's your opportunity. That's what, that's what Paul is saying in this letter that we're going to look at in a moment. And here's the encouragement that Paul gives us. He, he reminds them of principles around money. Now, hey, uh, all of us, um, how, how many of you um, have money? I don't mean like a lot of money. I just mean, do you have money? Do you have any money? Do you have any money at all? Like a, a Visa gift card or like a Starbucks gift card? Like you have something that's equivalent to a dollar? If you do, you're on the hook today, okay? So, and we're not the type of church that wants to leave a part of our lives that all of us touch. And so, is it okay that I talk a little bit about money? Yes? Okay, great. Um, I'm going to talk about money today uh, because the Bible does. Paul tells us this. He says, remember this. And here's why I love that. None of this is new stuff. All of this is as old as dirt. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is like a farming, agricultural, uh, gardening metaphor. He says, whoever sows generously will also reap, say it with me, generously. Yeah, this is not complicated for us. And this is the same idea that letter from future me to, to present day me would write to myself, that the seeds of generosity tomorrow are planted today. The question is, are we planting a lot of generous seeds or are we planting sparingly? This, I don't know, this proverb is so simple, I kind of feel foolish explaining it. But here's a, this is a Scott's rapid seed for your yard, like grass seed. Um, we bought the version that's got the fertilizer already in it. 
and it seems like it's spray-painted green. Have you guys ever seen green seeds? This is not non-GMO seeds. These are GMO'd to death. So I don't know how I feel about this. I probably wouldn't put this in my yard, but I don't know. I'm a judgmental Johnson County person. So um, my yard's got it, only the best. But could you imagine me taking my seed and then going to my yard and then getting on my knees and finding a bare spot? Have you ever seen your neighbor do this? Take a seed, one grass seed at a time, and purposely plant it where there are no other blades of grass so that it would grow. If you got your morning newspaper or your mail or just were getting in your car to drive out your driveway and you saw your neighbor so tediously, fastidiously on their knees just planting one blade of grass at a time, what would you do? You would call your wife or your husband and say, please lock the doors. They've lost their mind, right? I mean, this is just insane. Have you ever done this with your grass? I'll tell you what will happen. You'll get a Charlie Brown Christmas tree of a yard is what you'll get. All these bare spots everywhere and it's not going to look good. And then, listen, listen, listen. This is totally true, totally honest. Your neighbors will think you're crazy and they won't be envious of your yard and then you'll fail all over the place. Isn't that what it's all about? Making your neighbors angry, right? That's how I do it, you guys. I don't know how you do it, but... Um, Here's, here's what we do. Here's what we do. You know this. You know this. You've planted seed before. When it's time to, to sow, not plant seed, but to sow grass, you, you come to it. What do you do? You dip your hand in the bag and you indiscriminately take a whole handful of seeds. Dear, this is, not, this is very messy. You, can't, you just grab a handful of seed, don't you? And then what do you do with the seed? You don't just like... Yeah, you just did. Thank you. Thank you. You take it and you just throw it so that it blankets the earth. And here's the counterintuitive process of sowing seed is actually I just accomplished a very beautiful spread of grass seed. It's a little sparse for my taste, so I'll do it again in case you missed it. Yikes here. You ready? I'll do it for this side. You just, you just dip your hand in there. You don't care. You don't, you don't portion. You go a teaspoon. No, not a tablespoon. No, you just grab a handful. She got a handful, and you, you hold it out, and then what do you do? You just, you just LeBron James the thing, right? You just throw it. That is going to be really great grass in about six weeks. Let's water that and see what happens. You get the point. You get the point. Uh, we, we are the type of people who are called to be generous, and generosity has this indiscriminate quality about it where we just go in and grab, and the person who blankets the earth with their blessings will actually be the ones who receive blessings in the future, the ones who have the, the generous harvest at the end. Uh, we walk at a fast pace, and we just dip our hand in what we have, and we spread it because that's how you get a good result. And here's what's ironic about sowing versus planting. This is all counterintuitive to how you would think you would handle a very precious resource. As you actually would think, if I've got a seed and I want to guarantee it grows, I want to put it in a very specific place. But the proper method for planting is not to be singular and individual and granular. It's actually to be indiscriminate in how you broadcast what you have. It's not wasting the seed. It's strategic in helping it grow. Because generosity will then beget more generosity. And this is what Paul says. He says, remember this, that if you sow sparingly, you won't get the results you're looking for. And if you sow generously, you reap 
generously. This word generous in the Greek language, the Old Testament or the New Testament was written in, in, in regular common Greek from the first century. And we translate it into English and we use the word generous. That's an appropriate, appropriate translation. But the word there in Greek is the word eulogia or, or eulogy. Eulogy. Have you, have you ever heard of that? Eulogy? Eulogy? You, you, this is a word. Beautiful words is really what it translates into. It's the word for a blessing. Paul is saying if you want blessings in your life, then it's up to you to sow those blessings first, that the people who are blessed are the ones who are generously blessing other people. And this is really just what I want to tell, you know, present me from future me, is if I could go back in time and tell past me this, I'd say, hey, Dan, if you're thinking about how you spend your money and wanting to do a little bit better, better job so that you're generous, generous people bless people. If you want to know how generous you are, you can imagine the future eulogy that is told of you, of the people who were blessed by you. Do they say that you were a person who shared, who cared, who invested in them? Are there people who say to you, I couldn't have done this without you, or, or that gift was such a blessing to me? That's the generous person. That's the generous goal. And here's what's amazing about this generous blessing. I said generosity begets generosity is that not only does this simple act of sharing our resources and blessing people, not only does it bless future me, it blesses the heart of God. Look at what Paul says. This is the next verse. He says, each one of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God, say this all this last time with me, just so I know you're with me. God loves a, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. This is the moment in this passage, whenever I teach this principle, I always feel like I have to stop right here and acknowledge that this line to our ears sounds really, really awkward. Like, who is this Paul guy telling me what to do with my money? After all, it's my money. What claim does he have to it? And if we uh, don't actually read and take the time to get past the tone of what he's saying, we will actually fight him in something that we would agree with. Because Paul is actually agreeing with all of us that he, when he says, you just give what you've decided in your heart to give. Paul says, I'm not here to tell you what to give. I'm not here to tell you how much to give. He, he points out that inside of each and every one of us is this internal integrity structure whereby we measure generosity subjectively based upon who we are and what we have. This is the mind-blowing thing for all of us because wouldn't it be better if just like we had a standard of $100,000. If you gave $100,000 in life, you would be a generous person and you would just know you reached the generosity mark. You are generous. Congratulations. Here's a sticker and you can wear it. There's no metric. This is infuriating because the only person that can tell you if you're actually generous or not is not Paul. And it is not your church leaders. It is you. <laughs> you are the measure of generosity. Paul says you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give. For the Corinthian church, he said, you guys have already told me how much you're going to give. You've decided. And so I would love it if you would actually follow through on that promise. But he goes you know, a step further. He goes, you should not give it reluctantly because Paul says so. Or under compulsion because of the social pressure for you to perform. But God loves a cheerful giver. Our generosity brings joy, not just to the people that we give to, 
not just in our own lives, but our generosity brings joy to the heart of God. In fact, I know we, I keep going back and we're playing this game of cat and mouse with the screen here, but let's get one more time. Uh, so, so God loves a cheerful giver. This word cheerful is amazing to me. In the Greek, it's the word hilarious, which is where we get in the English our word hilarious from, right? It's just this joyful surprise, this like wildly funny, this, this caught me off guard, spontaneous, like I can't believe that just happened type of a thing, or I can't believe you just did that, or I can't believe, right? This is what happens when a baseball goes over the fence and an unsuspecting fan reaches their hand up and snatches it. I just want to draw your attention to one of these such plays. This is a beautiful White Sox A's game, and notice this guy. He's got, he doesn't even spill his nachos, and he just reaches up. First of all, this is Chicago. I don't know what he's doing wearing a Cleveland shirt. That's just bogus to me. But watch this reaction of all the people. Look at that guy. He's amazed. Look at that guy. Raises his beard. And his friend, his friend is just like beside himself. And he puts his arm and he's like, look what you did. Like, this is hilarious to him. He raises his beard and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that. Paul has got this thing that God is, is watching us in this world. And, and, and there's like resources. He's lobbing over the fence to us. And are we the type of people that catch the opportunity to be generous with other people in our hands and then give them away? And when we do, God is looking over us and he goes, I can't believe you just did that. That is amazing. Like, way to go. He, it is hilarious to him. He loves it. The, the, the life of God or the heart of God loves it when we push the boundaries of our own generosity. I want to be generous in the future. I want to be generous today. Because generous people generate joy. There is this generative act of generosity where it moves us beyond ourselves and it sparks this joy in our lives. And I, I just find sometimes in my life when I feel stuck with God, when I feel like I'm going nowhere, where I'm just so self-consumed and obsessed that one of the greatest ways that God frees me up from being locked up is that I take my death grip off of my money and I bless someone with what God's given me. I find it's like a generative mover for me to get going down the path of life and faith. And God always enriches my life that way. They generate joy. The word that I wrote down this week is a really nerdy word. I don't know if it works, but I'll, maybe I'll share it with you. All of this is like a creative, inherently creative, and the word I used was centrifugal. You know that, that phrase, like uh, the, the, the rides that spin themselves at the fair that you shouldn't go on because they make you sick, and they just keep spinning you round and round, and all of a sudden, they're just moving at this own pace, and it's self-sustaining. It's a centrifugal force, or, 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 or maybe if you're in business, you know the flywheel principle, where once you get that flywheel in your business going, it starts to continue to rack up dollars for you, and you start to get the process going, and all of a sudden, your life has this momentum, and I don't know how I'm doing this with my hands, but it feels really cool, but... Uh, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. It just keeps going, right? And, and it's this process by which one little act of generosity sparks an entire centrifugal outcome where you just keep moving and moving, and this incredible force comes out of your life. I want that in my life. So, honestly, I, I feel like I'm doing a really good job highlighting the benefits of generosity for us today. Blanketing indiscriminately our resources so that we have the harvest that we want. 
being able to see the joy that comes when we bless others and bless our own hearts and bless God. You might be asking the question, why, Dan, would you even need to write yourself a letter from the future anyway about being generous? This seems like a no-brainer. But the reason is because anytime you and I have any type of container that has any type of resource, you and I are prone to live within the limits of scarcity. If you don't believe me about this, watch an elementary school kid today with their Halloween candy bowl. My kids last week um, had the privilege of collecting 18 pounds of candy door to door. Thank you, Johnson County, for the medical bills and the dental bills. My, my kids have, um, they just got home from Halloween, and I don't, I don't know, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I just let them tear into the candy because it's Halloween. I don't know if they ate like one pound of candy or two pounds of candy, but they ate a lot of candy. And I noticed that the first day, a day or a half out of Halloween, they were just like indiscriminately, whenever they wanted, whatever they wanted, just going after the candy. And as the bowl started to, you know, it looked like melt, but as it started to decrease in how much candy was in, inside, I noticed my kids are doing that thing that all of us do when we recognize that what we have is a finite resource, that they just have certain amount of candy left before the bowl is there and there's nothing inside of it. And what a scarcity mindset does for us is we look past our present moment. We look through our present moment and we fixate on what we know is going to become a future need. We don't care what we have in front of us, but we fixate on the problems that are ahead of us. And we imagine that what will happen at that moment there is that we will not have enough. And so we hold on to and we try and stretch what we have. And this locks us up. My kids have realized that it's better to have candy than to eat candy. And how twisted is that? That at some point, the scarcity mindset tells us it's better for me just to actually protect what I have and make sure that it lasts me long enough because I like the feeling of having candy and knowing I could have it whenever I want, but I'm not going to eat it because if I eat it, well, then I'm not going to have it. This is what scarcity does. Something becomes so important to us that we preserve it and we never use it. <sighs> Okay, candy is, in a, is a kid thing. Let me go to this extreme, just a total extreme. I've got a couple friends, not many, but a couple friends who own very expensive wine collections. I'm not against that. I think having a wine cellar is a really cool adulting thing to do. That's great. If you've got the money to have wine, wonderful. Here's what's weird for me is when people get so much wine in their house that it becomes a wine cellar with a bedroom as opposed to a house with a wine cellar. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, you can have so much wine that you're stacking crates and boxes all over the place, and it's kind of like, are you a distributor now? Like, what are you doing with all this wine? And they'll never open the wine. They'll show it off to all their friends who come over for a dinner party, and they'll say, well, this one I got at this place, and this one's X amount of years old, and this one's like the greatest thing ever. And, and why is it so important that they never, people who have a scarcity mindset, they tell you this, they go, this vintage will never be created again. This is the last bottle of this. Meanwhile, I think God is looking up at that going, I am making wine every day. Wine that in 20 years will be just as good, if not better. 
And God is not laughing with us. He's laughing at us. Because here's a God who has created the infinite resources in the world to create wine for all of us. And all he wants us to do is just maybe responsibly crack open the bottle with your friends and make a memory. To actually pull one of the bottles off the shelf and to open it up and to see the look in your friend's eyes when they laugh and they're surprised because of the hilarious generosity that you're showing to them. You've actually blessed them by opening the bottle that deserves a you know, your 70th wedding anniversary bottle because it's Thursday. You open that bottle. Okay, some of you don't drink wine. That's fine. Let me go in a different direction. Um, my dad was this way, and some of us are this way. We, I know a bunch of people who own classic cars, who have restored wonderful classic cars, 50 Fords and Chevelles and things like that. And It's one of those things where they don't make the parts for this car anymore. And so uh, growing up, my dad would restore cars, and he'd be like, you can look, but you can't touch, right? And then that's a kid, that's a, a, a death sentence. You're like, well, man, I just want to, like, streak my hands along the whole side of the thing. And I wonder, what would hilarious generosity look like if you have a garage full of cars? What, what would it look like for you to actually turn the key? And then, I don't know, let me just take this one step further and just put a real guilt complex on some of you here. What, what, why wouldn't you go find the... 17-year-old kid who's in high school, that's your nephew or your neighbor who's got a prom date, and why wouldn't you go up to them and say, well, hey, you got this prom dance coming up. Would you want to take the 50 Ford? When I offered this as a recommendation in the first service, they gasped. <laughs> they were like, oh, why would you give an underinsured driver the keys to the car that's a 50 Ford? They don't make the parts for that anymore. Because it's a hilariously generous thing to do to make that 17-year-old's day. Because your precious Ford is going to be a rust bucket 10 years after you die. We get locked up by our stuff and scarcity mindset keeps us from actually enjoying the things that cause us to be generous and to bless other people's lives in the first place. And God wants us to be freed up. God wants us to take the shackles off of our our, our, our sacred or our, our scarcity way of thinking to not be so scared, right? That's what ultimately it is. That everything is scarce and so I'm scared. We get trapped under this weight of this least generous question ever. What about me? What will happen if this kid scratches my car? What will happen if I find a better moment to uncork the bottle and it's already gone? What will happen if I don't ever get more candy again. <laughs> Friends, this is where I, I love that we celebrated communion this morning, and I love faith, and I love Jesus for this exact moment here. This is where Jesus personally comes into every single one of our stories. The question, what about me, is ultimately settled when we come to faith in Jesus. You know, Jesus died to conquer the greatest problem of scarcity in our entire lives, the, the, the end of our days, which is death itself. Jesus died on the cross. I believe that. I also believe that three days later, he literally bodily rose again from the dead. And when he resurrected from the, from the dead, he made it possible that those who have faith in him also, do you, do you know what the promise of Jesus is? The actual promise of Jesus. What, what is the promise of Jesus? That if you believe in him, you shall not, this is King James, shall not perish, that you would have 
everlasting life. The promise that Jesus gives to every single one of us is not a scarcity promise. It actually flips scarcity on its head. Here's what, here's what Paul says in case you think this is all just pop psychology. Next verse, Paul, Paul says this, that God is able to bless you. Say it with me, please, one more time. Abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Just leave this up here for a second. God is able to bless you abundantly. You know what this teaches me, what Paul teaches me? His reminder to us is, is so clear that God supports generous people. Look at this. He says, God is able, he's able to bless you abundantly. In the context of just scattering out, God is saying, as you scatter, I will replenish. In times of need, you'll have everything that you need. If you can keep your hands from closing a death grip over your Visa gift card or whatever you have, God will actually provide more for the challenges of this present moment today. Here's what this means. It means that God, that God supports generous people, which means he's got you. He flipped the script on, on scarcity. He provides in this present moment not what our future needs need, but what today needs. Recognizing that God has more, that he supports his people, there's more where that came from. It frees us to get out of scarcity mode and then into possibility mode. The, the amazing news, here, here's, how, here's how I want to just end this today. The amazing news is if you have debt, if you're in debt, if, you, if you're under a pile of loans, just like many Americans, a huge percentage of Americans, have, have a tremendous amount of debt. The good news is that there's hope for generosity even in the midst of clawing your way out of debt. You may not have the ability to give what you want to give, but if you're in debt and you choose to give, that is surprising to the world for sure. It's maybe surprising to your Edward Jones person or your, your bank loan people. But if you are able to give even though you're in debt, that is hilarious to God. What God thinks about that is that that's amazing. And God is abundantly able to bless you in the midst of it. And in fact, in fact, I believe, and, and I, I know I'm not a financial person and you're going to measure these words with a grain of salt or whatever that is. But I believe the fastest way to get out of debt is actually to look into your own finances and not ask yourself the question, how do I get out of debt? That's a trapping question. The actual way that God has designed for us to get out of debt, which is way more biblical and way more adventurous and way more true to the life that Jesus wants us, he wants us to look at what we owe and what we have and to ask this very, very, very simple question, how can I bless people today with what little I do have? If you fixate on that question, you will be amazed at how quickly your priorities change and how quickly you can pay off the debts that you've amassed. Because God will meet you in the midst of blessing other people. When we bless others, God blesses that. Um, on a side note, I am becoming a little bit more concerned about our nation's financial sta status with finances. 
Not just because of inflation, but kind of because of inflation. Not just because of politics, but kind of because of politics. And not just because of COVID, but kind of because of COVID. I, I am looking around and feeling in my own heart that many of us are concerned about the stretching dollar today. And a lot of us have questions, real earnest, honest questions about what God would have us do with our money, how we could actually in, handle money in a good way. But we really truly, if we're honest with each other, we feel like we are trapped. Not just in a scarcity mindset, but just trapped not knowing what the future is going to hold. And some of us, what's crazy is some of us have enough seed for the next seven seasons. And we still feel like we're trapped and that we're not able to take the death grip of our hands off of our money. And I would so hate for us to have a death grip on our money that becomes a death sentence for our mission. And so uh, talking with Brad and Craig about this phenomenon now for maybe six, seven months, we've been looking for a program that we could help bring some financial training and conversations and non-judgmental conversations and really wide training to help people have a spiritual plan for their money. A spiritual plan that would help people who are truly in debt trying to figure it out just as much as a financial spiritual plan for people who have a ton of money, don't know what debt is, and they actually have so much money they don't know what to do with it. Would there be a program or a course that we could design or create or partner with that would reach people on all spectrums without judgment just to help us have confidence to know that we're not locked up by money but freed up to use God's money? And um, I wanted to build a course around this, but our friends from Crossroads Church in Cincinnati beat me to the punch, those guys. And it's incredible. It's an incredible program, and here's, here's what it's called. It's called Freed Up, and I want to draw this to your attention. Here's how it works. It's an app that you can get on your phone. The whole thing is designed for it to be a mobile-first experience where you can just uh, privately, individually receive biblical teachings, consider your finances, take some steps to actually understand where you are, what's important to you, what your goals are. And then this whole thing, it, you can get into it pretty deeply. It's six weeks. It'll take you uh, just a couple hours to walk through and to have some confidence for what God is calling you to with your money. And if you want to go through this by yourself, it's a really crazy good deal. Um, you can get the whole entire course. It's $100. You just go online. You go to Freed Up, and they'll walk you through the whole thing, 100 bucks. But I've got something better for you because I actually think you just tackling your money by yourself in the context of isolation is only one part of the making space that our church's mission is built upon. Sure, making financial space would be great, but we, we exist to make space to build relationships to make Jesus first. And Freed Up is actually designed in the same heartbeat that you would go through this content with a group of people who are also open-minded about their finances and trying to improve so that they can also be freed up in their life. And so there's a group component to this. And I want to invite all of you, every single one of you is invited. This session or the next session over the next couple of years, we'll be doing this as a church together. But we, we will be gathering in two weeks on Tuesday night online, 8 p.m. on Zoom. My wife and I are going to lead a discussion table with whoever wants to join us. We can have up to 400 people who are going to join us for this session. I would love for you to be one of them. And if you're willing to be a part of a group discussion, the whole entire thing drops from $100 down to 19 That's the cost of being an introvert. You could go through it by yourself, 100 bucks, or you can do it with us. And we as a church have invested money already to help you walk through your finances and have conversations, not specific conversations about dollar amounts, but heartbeats and, 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 and real sensitive spirit leadings about how can we be the people that God's led us to be so that we can live a, a freed up life. 
I've already been through most of this content, and I want to tell you it is one of the greatest things I've been through um, ever. And so I'm very excited, my wife and I, to just host a space where we can have honest, non-judgmental conversations about how God wants us to tackle money. If you want to know how to get more information, not how to sign up, not how to give me money, but how to have more information about these, uh, this course, it's going to be six weeks starting in um, 10 days, Tuesday evenings, the busiest time of year, I know. That's why we're doing this. And it's expensive, I know. That's why we're doing this. And it's going to take a lot out of you, I know. That's why I'm investing in it with you. But we want to have conversations at the busiest and the most expensive time of the year so that we can actually be free with our money, not locked up. Sound like a good plan? He Two of you. Thank you. This is going to be hard for you guys because the next step is not in front of you or you. Uh, on the seat back right in front of you is a QR code. And if you scan that, one of the first things you'll see is freed up. And that's just going to ask you to click a link. It's going to send me, it's going to send me a Q, uh, uh, your name and email. And then this week I'm going to send you uh, all the instructions for what this would take from you and, and give you all the information. You can make a decision on whether or not you want to jump in. So that is something I think is really important for future me to be a generous person. Uh, future me is generous. But the seeds of generosity are planted today. And I think this is such a beautiful picture for me because this is what Paul ends his letter with. He says, now, the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food is also going to supply and increase your store of seed. He'll en enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Here's a promise to generous living. You will be enriched every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I want to read that one more time. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Future me wants to be the type of person who is generous when the occasions arise. Not only that, these occasions where we can be generous bring thanksgiving to God. What a promise. We cultivate generous, joyful, financial giving. Our lives are enriched in every way so that we can be generous for every occasion. And I think future me is on to something. No matter how much I make in this life, no matter how much I make year to year, no matter how much I make in each season, I make enough to be generous if I want to be. And I actually think we all want to be. And this leads me to one final word because um, there's something crazy going on that I just want to give you a heads up about. This week, our lead team became aware of a occasion, one of these types of generous occasions, for us as a church to consider partnering financially with another group of people. And it feels so much like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that we've been exploring this opportunity with our board of directors and with our staff, and we're so pumped about it. And um, I, I can't help but want to tell you about it. But I'm not going to tell you about it today. And here's why. I've got three very clear reasons why I'm not going to tell you about one of the most exciting things that I'm very excited about. Number one is because um, there's a lot going on in Kansas City today, and we kind of knew that not everybody would be at church today. And this is the type of thing that's going to require everybody being at church. And I love that you're here, and this is not a knock on you. You're worth it. I would tell you if I, if, if I could. But we just want everyone to be around this, and so that's the first reason. Second reason is I've been in the seats when a pastor has preached a message about generosity, and then at the end of the message, a guy came on stage and started playing really sultry piano music. 
And it felt like, man, you're really working me over right now. And I don't like the feeling of spiritual manipulation that I'm feeling right now. And it's stinking working. And I feel like if you asked me for my third kid, I'd give it to you right now because I want to be a hilariously generous person. And I actually, um, I find that to be really off-putting. As a pastor, I find that to be not a great strategy for us to run our ministries I don't think it's wrong for us to put opportunities of giving in front of people. I just don't want to tie it to spiritual manipulation so that what Paul said to the Corinthians is true of us in Heartland too, that you wouldn't give out of obligation or compulsion. So to save us from that moment, I'm not going to tell you about the thing that I'm really excited to tell you about. And number three, this is maybe the most important one. This is so new. This opportunity is so new and so big and so quickly unfolding that we don't even have all of the details figured out, but we will tomorrow. And so, Heartland, guess what? Um, we say we're a generous church. And good news, I'm coming to Heartland next week, and I'll be there to tell you about this incredible opportunity we have to make a difference in the world, in our community, and in our church. A difference that none of us organized, orchestrated, or saw coming. Something that just has the timing of God all over it. So much so that I would tease you this hard so that you come back next week wondering, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? How can we be a part of this? So here's where I want to leave it for us, though. If I had told you what the opportunity was today, I just want to ask you this question for you to self-evaluate. Would I be open to hearing today what this is? Or am I feeling right now so conflicted and so confused about my own resources, my own moment of life that maybe I am living in a scarcity mindset and this week I need to sort that through and wonder what do I believe about what God is calling me to in my life? I want us to confront the death grip that we have on our resources today. And I, I want us to be maybe a little bit more curious next week when our lead team stands on stage and shares with you what we believe God's inviting us into so that when we ask, are we willing to meet the need, you might be willing to say yes in a hilariously generous, joy-generative type of way. And I think if we do that, future us will thank us. I want to guarantee it, I just don't know how. Would you stand to your feet? I'd love to pray. Father, Thanks for a church that is so open to your guidance in our lives that we would be willing to have an awkward conversation about money and our resources. And thanks for the fact that you're not a judgmental God, but you're a God who blesses abundantly, that you use the money that you've given us to serve us in this life, to, to help us with our friendships, to meet our needs. God, you are such a God of, of plenty. I just feel compelled now, God, to just pray over the people in our seats right here who are struggling financially, who are locked up with debt or locked up in their own mind with scarcity and just worried about finances. God, would your spirit of peace be presently felt in your promises that you do a, a supply abundant for our days. God, we trust in that promise. We believe in that promise. We trust you knowing that you are the giver of all that we need. So God, we're here just saying, God, we don't see the provision for our future needs, but we see what you've given us today. We have everything we need in Jesus, and so God, we trust in you. Would you just be at putting us at peace with that? And for this opportunity, God, for our church and every opportunity, all the occasions that we have to be generous, God, we want to be the type of people that reap generously. So God, this church, this place, this house right here, these people, would you go before us? Would you be blessing us in ways 
where we see generosity begetting generosity. All for your glory, for your fame, for thanksgiving in your house, God. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Harlan, we love you.